0: God willingly offered up Jesus. God willingly offered up Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin. And so we could ask it this way. What limit is there of God's love toward us? If God was willing to offer his only begotten son, where is the limit of God's great love toward us? There is no limit. God has given us everything necessary for this life and on into eternal life. And let God...
1: Welcome to the Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word.
0: Today, since God is for us, This is a rich portion of scripture. It's one of the reasons that I've taken three teachings to get through this chapter because verses 28 through 39 are so rich. A lot of theology is found here as well. And I gave you a bit of notes that you could take home, and I wanted to give you a little bit of understanding of this section of scripture as well. But I broke it into three sections. We're going to look at. All things, our first point, verses 28 through 30. If God is for us, verses 31 through 38. And more than conquerors, verses 37 through 39. And if God is for us, who can be against us? He asked that question, picking up in verse 31 through 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all so how is god for us god is for us because he did not spare his only begotten son but he delivered him up for us all an interesting uh, a thing that's discovered when the old testament was translated into the greek language known as the septuagint that they use this very same word where it's translated for us that God did not spare his own son. They use this very same word in the Greek to translate uh, what Abraham did when he did not withhold his son Isaac as a sacrifice to God there in Genesis 22. And that Greek word that Uh, speaks about God not sparing his own son. It's a Greek word that could be translated as to treat with tenderness or to spare, as used with Abraham in Genesis 22, 12 through 14, when God had called Abraham to take his son, his only son, and to go to a mountain that he would show him, And three days later, Abraham and Isaac stood before Mount Moriah and they climbed to the top of that mountain. And as they were climbing to the top of Mount Moriah, Isaac said to his father Abraham, he said, Father, we have the wood, we have the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said to Isaac that God will provide the sacrifice. They got to the top of the mountain, they built an altar and Abraham put his son Isaac upon the altar to offer him as a sacrifice to God, just as God had called him to do. In the Greek Septuagint, we find this same word, that Abraham did not treat Isaac with tenderness. Abraham did not spare Isaac, but was willing to put Isaac underneath the knife. If that's what God called him to do. And we know that God did not allow Abraham to do this. In fact, God said, now I know that you will not hold anything back from me. And that there was a ram that was caught in the thicket that was offered as a sacrifice there on Mount Moriah. Do you realize that Mount Moriah is the same mountain in Israel where Jesus was offered as a sacrifice for our sins God did not spare his only begotten son, but offered him, delivered him up as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we pick up in verse 32, the third question. How shall he not freely give us all things? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And we take it back to uh, the first question. He has already said what shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us? How shall he not freely give us all things? If he did not spare his own son, how will he not freely give us all things? God willingly offered up Jesus. God willingly offered up Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin, And so we could ask it this way, what limit is there of God's love toward us? If God was willing to offer his only begotten son, where is the limit of God's great love toward us? There is no limit. God has given us everything necessary for this life and on into eternal life. Paul said in 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, Through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, that the divine power has given us all things to pertain to this life and godliness everything necessary but it's all hinging on the work of jesus christ upon the cross and so he asked how shall he not freely give us all things if he was willing to give his son jesus not to spare jesus not to hold jesus in tenderness but to offer him up as a sacrifice for our sins how shall he not freely give us all things And number four, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? So who shall bring this charge? It is uh, a word that speaks about a call that as with a debt or a, a demand. Since God is judge over all the earth and considering that he has already given his begotten son as a sacrifice for our sins, then who else is able to bring a charge against us? If God is judge over all the earth, who's able to bring a charge against us? God is over all things. He's already given his son for our sins. Certainly not Satan. Satan will try, but he doesn't have the authority. It reminded me of these bogus phone calls that we might get, or maybe an email attempting to, scam us to scare us we're getting these on our answering machine right now this past week it's not even a real person it's a computer saying that our uh, microsoft software something's wrong with it and like right so i'm going to actually talk to you guys but they attempt to get someone and they're successful a lot of these phone calls I discovered, I, I looked up a number. It's like, where is this coming from? And it's coming out of Jamaica. I don't know why, but they'll keep calling if people are willing to give up their information, their bank accounts. Just just know that if, you know, he was in the high-end government from an African country, he's embezzled all this money he needs to... Uh, Transfer it somewhere in the United States. He'll share the wealth with you. No, it's not true. It's it's not. What they want is to share your wealth. Actually, they just want to take your wealth, whatever it might be. And it may not be much, but they just want to get a hold of it. But they attempt to get that information information. When we receive messages like this, whether it's a phone call, whether it's through email or Facebook, however we get this, we just know that they're bogus. In fact, it's better not even to respond to them. And Satan often brings these bogus charges against God's elect. We find a great picture of this in Zechariah 3, verses 1 through 5, where Zechariah is shown Kind of this heavenly vision of Joshua, the high priest of his day and age, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan at his right hand, bringing opposition against him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem, who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. Is this not... The brand plucked from the fire. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, the angel of the Lord. And we know that when it mentions often in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, it's referring to Jesus Christ. So we could read. Then Jesus answered and spoke to those who stood before him and said, Take away his filthy garments from him. See, I have removed your iniquity from you. I will clothe you with rich robes. Let them put a clean turban on his head. Joshua stood before the Lord in filthy garments with Satan at the right hand, bringing accusation against him. But the Lord saying to Satan, Satan, I rebuke you. I'm not listening to these charges. We find that when sin is exposed in our life, and I'm not saying that Joshua did not have sin, we can do one of two things. We can, like Adam and Eve in the garden, attempt to hide, or we can repent. 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But notice that Joshua, the high priest, was not commanded. Jesus didn't say to Joshua, Joshua, go change your garments. In fact, Jesus commanded those around him and said, put on these clean robes, these rich robes. And the same is true for us today. Only Jesus is able to supply the rich robes and the clean turban of salvation that we need in our lives. We can't do it for ourselves. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it tells us, For he who made him knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's a work that Jesus has done. And so we discover that who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, the answer is no one. And then he says, Who is he who condemns? In verse 34, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. This Greek word is katakrino. It's a word, though, that's in the future tense. So it's not talking about present condemnation. Who is he who condemns presently? There could be a lot of people condemning us presently. But this Greek word is actually in the future tense. It's talking about that day and age when we will, as believers, stand before the bema seat of God's throne. Who is he who condemns? It's a word that means to judge against or to sentence. And it speaks, as I said, it's in the future tense, meaning that the time of action is not now, but it's in the future. Therefore, someday Christ will judge, for Jesus said in John 5, and 23, the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, so that all who honor the Son, just as they honor the Father, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Yet Christ, as our judge, we find that he is also our Redeemer. Who is he who judged? He asked the question. It is Christ who died, who's furthermore also risen. And so Christ, who is our judge, is also our redeemer. He's already died. He's already risen. And look what he has found doing. He is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. He is not at the right hand of the Father bringing accusation against us. He's making intercession for us. And the Lord Jesus looks at us and he's like, man, you need my prayers right now. You know, I love it that we learned here in Romans chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit is at the throne of God making intercession for us with groanings, with words inexpressible, but also here in Romans 8 that the Son of Man is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. I've asked people to pray for myself, my family, my wife, our church, And I'm thankful for those prayers. And there are people who ask me to pray for them, and I willingly offer up prayers. But I am so thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ, your prayers are good, but Jesus's is better. Just have to let you know that, that he is at the right hand of the Father. He who is the judge, who also has died, was buried and resurrected. He's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Therefore, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 7.25 says, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus Christ will get it done. We feel like a work in progress. Know that Jesus Christ will get it done. 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says, My little children, these things I write to you So that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation of our sins. Not of ours only, but for the whole world. Jesus Christ, we have an advocate. He is, it's a legal term. He's like fighting for our defense. But he's already paid the price. We're guilty, yes. But he says to his father, I've already paid the price of that. And so he asks, number six, who shall separate us from the love of God? In verses 35 and 36. So the seventh question is kind of the answer to the sixth question. So I only put six down in my notes. And it's rhetorical. And I want to try something, and you guys are going to have to help me out here. Because the answer is no to every one of these. But I want to hear you say no, and I want to hear you say it loud enough that this microphone can pick you up. So he asked the question, this is not a no answer. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Or distress? No. Or persecution? No. Or famine? Our nakedness? No. Our peril? No. Our sword? No. And he goes on to say, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughterer. He's quoting there from Psalm 44:22 to emphasize that even death cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Therefore, if death cannot separate us from the love of Christ, neither can the trials in this life, like tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. When Paul pleaded with the Lord three times, he heard the Lord say to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's 2 Corinthians Twelve nine, And we just need to understand that when we're going through trials in our own life and we plead with the Lord concerning it and we seem like the answer isn't coming, we just need to know that God's grace is sufficient for us. Since God is for us, no one or no thing can possibly be against us. And then he closes out saying that we are more than conquerors, verses 37 through 39. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. In all what things? Well, he just listed out seven things. That of tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. We are more than conquerors. That means to prevail completely, to utterly defeat, It's surpassing victory. You can be a conqueror, but Paul said, we are more than conquerors. We're beyond that of simply being a conqueror. We are more than conquerors because of anything that we have done and of everything that possibly could come against us. It's because of God's great love toward us that The Lord Jesus Christ has done everything necessary for our salvation. We're more than conquerors because we're not trying to conquer salvation in our own strength. It's because Jesus Christ has already done it for us. It's kind of like Jesus going to battle before us and all we do is come up behind him saying, yeah, this is great. We don't even have to lift a sword. He's done the job for us. It was his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. In Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6, it says, From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And as believers, whatever we might be upon this earth or what will happen to us in this world to come, it is all because of Jesus, because of his great love, which he has bestowed toward us through dying upon the cross. John fifteen thirteen reminds us that greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus displayed the greatest love by going to the cross. So Paul said, I am persuaded, he lists out ten things here, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am persuaded, this is in the passive voice, He's convinced of this and he's not thinking about it now. It's a a done deal. It's in the past. I am persuaded, meaning that he has been convinced by argument to this persuasion that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And he lists out 10 things. He's given us a lot of things here that he's listed out. These benefits are in our behalf. And he listed out 10 more to close out the chapter. That is to demonstrate that there is nothing that can separate us from God's love. Romans 5.8 tells us, God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ that makes us more than conquerors since God is for us. Romans chapter 8, a beautiful, beautiful portion of scripture that Paul just reinforces the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives by mentioning the Holy Spirit 20 times in chapter 8 alone. And the work of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit in behalf of those who trust in Jesus Christ, but also uh, the work of Jesus in our lives. He is the one that makes us more than conquerors since god is for us it's not a if question paul has by argument supported the fact that god is for us to those who love god and are called according to his purposes therefore we can say all things work together for good all things work together for good father thank you for your word and for what it teaches us and help us lord just to have this confidence sometimes lord i Confess that we don't understand the reason why things might come against us. And Lord, though we may know Romans 8.28, we don't stand upon the truth of Romans 8.28. And so Lord, help us to trust in your work, in our lives, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.